Hello, folks. Welcome back to another edition of Football Theory. I'm Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, joined by fellow Lifetime Longhorn and football theorist, uh, as well as the uh, author of uh, America's War Game on Substack, but also you catch his great work over at Inside Texas as a football theorist there as well. He is Ian Boyd joining me. Uh, what's going on, Ian? How you doing, brother? It's going well. You know, the war game parallels between football and, and, and war, I guess, are pretty strong right now. The local team up here hired an ex-military guy <laughs> to maybe do some black ops, get some military intel on uh, Buckeye and, and Nittany Lion and uh, Sparty, I guess. I don't know if they needed any help. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and a lot of them, right? Allegedly some other potential college football playoff opponents, potential SEC opponents too. Oh man, Joe, it's wild. Joe Cook was wanting to look into it and be like, did they scout Texas this year? And uh, and also like, did they scout Oklahoma and did they scout A&M? Yeah, you feel disrespectful if they didn't scout you. <laughs> you feel, right? right? You feel like, hold up, they, they didn't scout us? We weren't on the list? We didn't make the list? Come on, Harbaugh didn't think you were a threat, man. Harbaugh did not deem you as a threat. I mean, TCU is running with that right now. They're like, I guess they didn't get, I guess they didn't think we should, they should scout us. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, no, no, that is, I, I'll just say this. I do think it happened. I think, I think it happened. I don't think they're the only ones. I'm an Astros fan, so I know it's going to sound like that. <laughs> I don't think they're the only ones who are doing it. I do think, but I do think the, the way it sounds, this was a systematic, you know what I mean? Like a systematic operation that seemed like it was carried out over multiple years. And honestly, now, I don't know if this happened. Man, you have so much technology, though. If you can just get the, the data and the information, man, there are algorithms and AI stuff you can use to give you trends and patterns. I don't know what they were doing, exactly how they found what they found, if they found it, or if they even did it, allegedly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I can see, I totally could see it in Jim Harbaugh. It does fit his personality. This is a guy that said even on Halloween as a kid, he would cheat the system by going to dress up in multiple costumes to go to the same houses. He's just look, and you know what? I'm not mad at him looking for the edge. I'm not mad at him. Honestly, I because if my team was doing it, I'd probably be justifying it. And especially if it led to wins. But hey man, to each his own. That's another one. Yeah. Rod, did y'all ever figure out how Oklahoma was stealing your signals back in the day? No, we didn't, but we know it happened. Um, because BJ Johnson said that it, uh, an Oklahoma player told him at the combine that they knew they knew a lot of the plays. Now, maybe they, the plays were just that predictable. I don't think he was that predictable. I think there, I think there's a, there's a, 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 a it's pretty much a, a, a circumstantial level of, of a sign stealing going on with almost every program, just at a very low level. You know what I mean? Nothing systematic like what's going on there a high level operation like it had michigan i think everybody and you by the way that's legal what's illegal is using technological means to record uh and record those signs and then use that information to inform your future coaching decisions i think that's the you can you can actually go it if i went to a i think if i went to a game and i didn't use that type of stuff. I mean, advanced scouting is illegal, but I think if I was just looking at their signs, I think I'd be fine. I think it's the recording that's getting them in trouble. You know what they should have done? 
is just find somebody with a photographic memory. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's that is brilliant, my man. That is I ain't gonna lie. That's pretty damn brilliant. I don't know. Brilliant how many like, that's brilliant. Damn, that sounds like a screenplay. <laughs> somebody just bro just finds a guy's a photographic memory and he's on the side. The problem is they got this dude also at least video of him on the sideline too. That's um, uh, very fishy. Charlie Weiss Jr. has photographic memory. And when Lane Kiffin um, interviewed him the first time to be with him at FAU, he showed him his credit card and then he put it back in his wallet. And then when the bill came, he's like, all right, if you can tell me my credit card number, then I'm, I'll, I'll flip the check. And then Weiss Jr., zero five, whatever it was. I don't know what it was, obviously. That's and, freaky. And he nailed it. That's freaky, man. Maybe that's, why, maybe that's why Lane likes having him around. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's some coordination he's doing is... Uh, no, that's interesting because uh, Sean McVay, they say, has some freaky stuff like that, too. He can recall. Various, I, I, I did a show with Craig Wade, the voice of Longhorns, and honestly, he got some freaky recall, too. This dude has got some, some freaky stuff going on. Some people are just next level that way, but could be a human cheat code, is what man Ian said. Um, Craig, all right, Craig let's do Craig Wade may, may even know what high school I went to. Dude, exactly. I'm telling you, Craig Way is a sir. He should be working for the Department of Defense or the CIA. Honestly, he should. He's wasting his talent here just as the best play by play guy in the business. Uh, all right, let's get right to it. Uh, enough small talk. I'm sure people want to hear us talk about U of H and what happened and looking forward to BYU. And of course, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, bury the lead. They're also going to have a new quarterback for this upcoming week. There's an injury to Quinn Ewers. So we'll give my man Ian starts on that as well. All right, Ian, let's start. Let's start on defense, man. I'm a defender. I'm a DB. Um, it hurt my heart a little bit what I saw on Saturday because I believe Donovan Smith ended up throwing for the second most yards against a uh, PK coached uh, defense here at Texas. I mean, he threw for a lot of yards from the pocket and a lot of the concepts that hurt Texas uh, defensively were in breaking routes. Uh, this is something that actually I got stats on it that actually hurt Texas last season. It was something that really was an issue last year. Hasn't been an issue this season so far, but it looks like now maybe uh, because of the game plan U of H uh, deployed versus Texas that you may see it again. And even Sark said that in the media availability, we better fix it because we're going to see it again because BYU likes to do it. Um, all right, Ian, so what are your thoughts? I got some numbers that I kind of uh, ended up breaking down here when I was charting the game about in-breaking routes. I'll give you my my numbers from last season too. Uh, but I, I saw your, your Twitter thread because you were annoyed by this as well. <laughs> so yeah. you you had a you had a you you tweeted your way through it, which I that's that's constructive. Good job. You tweeted your way through it. And what did you find when you tweeted your way through Texas defensive issues, especially defending these in in-breaking routes? Yeah. Well, Matthew, if you can give us, I believe, yes, exhibit one. Exhibit one here. This is the defensive call that Texas ran on, I don't know, not all 378 yards, but almost at least half of the big third down conversions. Yeah. This is what they did. They played single high man coverage 
behind a five-man pressure. So you have six guys in coverage. The corners take the outside guys. One safety goes to defend the deep post, usually Michael Taft. Your nickel and your other safety are in man coverage on the inside receivers. And then uh, your other linebacker is in man coverage on the running back. That's the way this coverage worked. The guy that was in man coverage on the running back would crowd up to the line of scrimmage and just shadow the running back wherever he went and potentially blitz if the running back was blocking. As a delayed blitzer. As a delayed blitzer. Yeah. The other linebacker was blitzing as a matter of course because it's a five-man pressure. That means no linebackers in the middle of the field. Okay. That's dangerous. <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> the boundary safety. So Houston already knew that the boundary slot is a good way to attack Texas. Because like Wyoming did that, Oklahoma yep. tried to do that. Um, <clears throat> it you get a better matchup. You don't have to throw at Jade Barron, so that's great. And you do get to throw at Benda or Anthony Hill or uh, you know Catalan Crawford, somebody. The safety would maybe be with have inside leverage, but he would be like seven yards off the ball. So the quick shallow and the quick slant, Crawford would lose, whoever was there, but usually Crawford, would lose inside leverage like immediately. Man. It was just pitch and catch yeah. over and over again. It was either heads up. It, it was it was barely inside. I don't think it was inside leverage. I think they gave, they gave it up too easy to be inside leverage. I, I, mean, mean, I don't know what they were doing. They gave it up very easy. I, was, it's almost zero leverage because you're just like seven <laughs> yards off the ball. Exactly. Yeah, decent leverage on the dig, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You might be right. I don't even know if they were inside or not. But it, I mean, either way, they just got torched on that, and they um, they adjusted some over the course of the game. By the end of the game, they were not doing that anymore. But it was brutal. I mean, they were really getting torched. And then they had some other plays where they would um, they have a coverage they like that's a cover three where one of the safeties is like a, a middle hook defender mm-hmm. and the linebacker is in the flat. And they like kept just blowing the coverage. Like the safety wouldn't be in the right spot. The linebacker would get lost. Um, they had all kinds of problems, Rod. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And I kept seeing it at one of my comments, which actually kind of piggybacks on your analysis that they the defense wasn't coordinated it sounds like a very simple observation like oh man it's a defensive coordinator yeah but the the front which is your 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 front seven is supposed to be coordinated with the coverage of the defense and the technique of the defense all of those things are supposed to be coordinated if you are going to blitz those inside linebackers or say those off-ball linebackers are one's blitzing and one's playing the running back or a delayed blitzer then the technique of the DBs needs to be more inside leverage. Like you, you, you have, like I'm talking about more pronounced inside leverage, even a, a half a yard to almost even being stubborn, like a half a yard inside leverage to it. Let, like clearly taking away the inside, and especially if you're on the outside using the sideline. And I'm not, I'm not seeing that at all. That's why I'm saying the technique and defense isn't coordinated at times. Last season, 
on these types of routes, like any in-breaking route, because I got obsessed with it last year because it, it was it was an issue for Texas. In-breaking routes last season, Texas had allowed explosive plays over 20% explosive play rate, which is a 15-plus yard pass play, and first down touchdown rate of over 35% just on inside breaking routes. They just kept giving them up. It hadn't been an issue so far this season. This is the first game, first game where it came back, and I'm not sure exactly what was the defensive game plan that Texas had in place that told them to just give up the inside leverage. When Sark was asked about it, he said the coverage dictates the technique. So uh, not maybe not the players. Maybe they're not deciding what technique they're playing. It's the coverage that dictates the technique. But I'm with you. If you're in man coverage, I thought inside leverage usually always is your kind of first alignment assignment <laughs> as, a, as a DB when you're in man coverage. That's your yeah. technique. You know, I'm remembering now because Donovan Smith jogged my memory that a lot of the times when Texas got torched on inside leverage last year was also in a blitz package. Mm -hmm. And it was different. It was when they were last year there last year, they ran a lot of five man pressures where they would play quarters to one side of the field and zero to the other. And what would happen is mm -hmm. a guy would run from the quarter side and he would cross over to the zero side Nobody with him. And nobody would carry him. Yeah. And then he'd be open. Um, and they, were, I, they had some other issues as well that I don't remember. But um, an interesting thing is that this always comes about as a, re, as a result of their third down calls. Like their third down call will come. They'll be like, okay, we want to get pressure. We're going to dial up this blitz. And then their blitz coverage is garbage. Like, yeah, you're right about that. I go to like I multiple games over the last two seasons where they had problems like this, and it's yep. the, it's not always the same, but it's the same general heading of garbage blitz coverage. Yeah, and you would think that the the thought process behind the blitz is the ball's coming out quicker. So yes. I definitely take away the inside breaking route. That's the that's the high per percentage throw for the quarterback take that away, make him throw a tougher throw, which is the out cut or any deeper cut, and the ball's coming out quick, ball coming out quick, hot routes, usually are inside breaking routes. And like I said, you would think that the players would be taking that away on blitzes. That's why I said that the coordination doesn't make sense. Ball's coming out quick. Why are we so much cushion when the ball's coming out quick? Not only cushion, but cushion and still giving cushion. Not cushion and sitting. Difference is cushioning and sitting on the route, sitting at the sticks, waiting on the ball to come out to jump it. You can do that, but that's they're giving their cushion and then giving even more cushion when the ball snapped. So that's what I mean about the coordination between the technique that's being played and the coverage being played. Um, communication is also a big issue. Um, I, you know, I've been talking about this for a while targets to clustered closely clustered groups of receivers. Some people call it stack. Some people call it bunch. Whatever you want to call it, you can call it whatever you want. Uh, but Texas has major issues defending uh, those closely clustered groups of receivers. It's just been an issue for Texas. I don't know why they can't figure it out. And there's different techniques. You can play levels. You can decide to play inside-outside, which is tango coverage, as they call it. 
Uh, but I've been tracking it in this game too. Uh, they really hurt Texas on those uh, targets to bunch routes, which is something I've been tracking too. The players, and that's to me, that's about communication, passing off offensive players, passing off receivers in coverage, which they don't do really well. I tracked over 11 yards per attempt with Texas, um, uh, with Texas defense when they were defending targets to bunch formation, closely clustered groups of receivers on crucial downs. Some of those four, that fourth, all those fourth downs. Uh, that's what they would do. Just find a way to get a switch release from either a tight group of twins or stacked receivers and Texas DBs. They aren't aggressive uh, in that situation and they have a hard time playing a, a close, aggressive, sticky coverage when teams are in those types of formations. I wonder how much of that too is also the um, the third down blitz deal, because Texas likes to blitz on third downs, and you see those stack bunch sets a lot on third downs when teams are like, "Okay, we gotta get somebody open at the sticks." Yeah, I mean, let's roll out our let's roll out our our, our third down offense. I got a lot of them on even on first down. Really? Yeah. Uh, in this game, you got some, yeah, you got some third down or so too. I mean, you got a third and 10, uh, you got fourth and one, a fourth and two, but you got some first down, some early down ones, big chunk yardage plays too. Uh, that, that, that's been a problem all season long, even Alabama. Uh, go look at all the Alabama big chunk yardage plays, they were targets to closely clustered groups of receivers. It's a communication as a DB, it's about everybody being on the same page about who's going to take what route when it declares and at what point do you decide this is my receiver i'm i'm matching him and what when you decide no i'm passing this guy off i'm going to match the other guy and you almost have to have we used to call it a hive mind you got to have a hive mind we gotta we because we, we can't talk literally when a snip ball is snapped we just have to be thinking on the same page and see it's offensive line they work the same way i mean they have to all know hey man we're passing off these these uh these defenders uh we're passing off these guys in their blitz packages, we're passing off these guys and these pressures. Um, and I think D- these DBs don't do it really well, and they've struggled with it all season long. And U of H knew it, and U of H did it a did it a bunch. No pun intended. Uh, yeah. So the um, so so here's the elephant in the room: is that Texas hired all their coaches before they hired Kwiatkowski and Choate. And they've never run the same stuff on the back end that Pete Kwiatkowski ran at Washington. And the blitz package at Texas under Pete Kwiatkowski has never been the Washington stuff. Uh, or, or that's never been the main thing. Yeah. It's like all these blitz packages that we're complaining about is not what they did at Washington. It's all different stuff. And so, but here's the, here's the concerning thing. They had a lot of problems with this kind of stuff last year. But last year they had like one guy in the back of the room that kind of dictated a lot of stuff, it seemed like, and Gary Patterson. Yeah. And now the staff is like working together again without him. And I don't know. They're just not – they're still not as in sync as we thought maybe they would be. Yeah, I agree. With that. And, and by the way, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the injuries. Injuries, big part of it. I, they went yes. into the game without Ryan Watts, went into the game without Jalen Catalan. At one point, Terrence Brooks gets nicked up. At one point, I think Gavin Holmes got nicked up. I mean, they dealt with 
a ton of injuries on the back end. Hell, Jack Bush dealt with an injury, um, and Ethan Burke was dealing with an injury. I mean, they became a mass unit in that game. So the fact that they got the dub is shows their grit, fortitude. This is a different team. They got good football character. But the issues still exist, and the issues now are coordination and communication. The defense isn't really coordinated very well in terms of the pressures and the front and then the coverages and the technique on the back end. And also, I think the communication, which is, as, as Ian talked about, passing off some of the routes and coverage that goes to their targets in bunch formation, or targets to bunch formations, and also that goes to their inability to defend two-minute drill. Two-minute drill is just a crisis mode. It's, it's crisis situation for a defense. You have to communicate really well because you don't have a lot of time to do it, and you all have to be hive-minded meaning me seeing the same thing, making the same adjustments, the same audibles on the fly without having to communicate them post-snap. So maybe, you don't have time. So maybe maybe playing 10 defensive backs every game does not lead to good cohesion and hive mind defense and two-minute drill. Amen, brother. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm with you. I didn't. I didn't play with that many guys. We played. <laughs> I mean, I played with like the same guys all the time. Yeah. So I mean, I'm with you. I agree with that. There are benefits to it, but uh, I mean, the, the the things that you would expect to be the negatives are things that we see on the field. So that's kind of a hard thing to square. Yeah. And Rod. So okay, I want to talk about BYU. Let's do it. But I got I got to present this theory to you real quick. I'm not saying that this is a good theory. I just think it's a decent one that's interesting to talk about. That's what the show's for. Which is that the game plan against Houston and this blitz in particular, where they got the linebackers like pressing up on the line to either blitz or just it. yeah yeah. Um, Notre Dame actually did almost exactly that to shut down Caleb Williams in USC a week prior. Hmm. I, I watched that one for the sub stack. I was breaking it down and I was like, you know what? They, they got these guys like Caleb Williams wants to buy time for his receivers to get open and the linebackers are just on him. Hmm. Notre Dame had their nickel shadow the slot wherever he went and played tight inside leverage coverage. So mm-hmm. when they played these blitzes, you couldn't just break open free over the middle. Exactly. Like that, that wasn't happening. Yeah. But they actually played these same blitzes in the same style. Hmm. Um, and they shut down USC with it. So And so that's actually not the – here's the theory. The theory is what if Texas wanted to trot this out against Houston as a trial run for playing the same style – in a possible rematch with Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. Oh, now we get deep. Oh. Because this game uh, was very much an overreaction to getting yes, by yes. quarterback run. Especially with the quarterback run game. Yeah. We are and I, by the way, I thought so too. I thought they'd use the quarterback run game more too. They did not. They, well, they did. <laughs> they could. Exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> and they didn't need to. They didn't need to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's uh, that's interesting. You know what? It, it it might be an effective game plan if they play inside leverage next time. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I feel you because that way you take away because he was running inside pretty much those quarterback draws 
and a lot of his scrambles, he wasn't running to the perimeter and getting around the corner on Texas. No, he was running, you know, kind of right in between the tackles and then finding that those little spaces of daylight. And if you have your linebackers come up the way Texas did, you pretty much have a wall built. Yeah. You force him. To, if you abandon the pocket, you got to run. The, you got to run the loop and go around the corner to do it. Texas has a lot of speed. By then, they can close. By then, you know, it's, no, that's a good point. I, I don't disagree with that. That's yeah, interesting. They, they built. They built a wall around Smith. They did. And he just trebucheted right over it. Yeah, Seems he's big it. though. Dylan Gabriel's not that big. Dylan Gabriel's like what? Six five eleven, six foot. Duncan Smith's like six four, six five. Yeah, I don't even so know. It, I don't, that wall would work a little better against Dylan Gabriel to add to your theory. So I would if they ran the same game plan against Gabriel in the Big 12 championship, oh. I don't know if I'd even be mad. But when they're in eleven and they play their slot in the boundary, break your rules and have Baron shadow him. Yeah, Texas, Texas keeps bearing to the field no matter what. Um, I sh- shadow him to the sh- to the slot. I like that idea. I, I, listen, I'll add to that because, by the way, your theory is money because if they are thinking Dylan Gabriel's shorter, so he won't have the view that 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 obviously Donovan Smith did, then you do you don't play so much inside leverage because essentially the pressure is taken away the inside pressure. So it should take away some of that. And then if he Dylan Gabriel escapes, those guys will be breaking on scramble drill to outside cuts. I don't know. It's not. And if he is, th- if he abandons the pocket on the outside, he's, he's throwing across the body throws, which quarterbacks are always told never to do. So it's not crazy. It's not, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. I, I, I listen. I'm, I, I, that's not, it's not a bad theory at all, man. Would have been that's, interesting if they'd done it in the, Red River Shootout, we'd know a little better how it might go. Yeah. No, I was right. But then, yeah. But then my thing in this game, they should have adjusted. And at one point, you got to make the adjustment and go inside leverage. Let me ask you this before we get a little bit. By the end of the game, they were not they were not doing this blitz anymore by the end of the game. That's true. Or they, or they would play the, – the safety started to, to play tighter and inside eventually. Yes, because Taff, Taff gets that play where he, I think he, or, hurt, he hurt Manjack. That I mean, that one actually was arguably they were still too far outside, but Taft just uh, he erased, the, erased the problem. No, he jumped it. He he knew he's like, listen, they're going short. I, they've been getting us inside, hell them, and that it was a smart move. That's, sometimes the players got to break the rules. Getting back to it before he we talk about it. Out. Yeah, I know. I listened to Holgerson after the game, and Holgerson all but said that he was concussed. Yeah, no. No, that was Taft's best game I mean, that he's had in Texas. Um, let me ask you this, though, about Jade Barron. He should be your rule breaker. I like what you said about him breaking the rules, uh, about being the nickel in the field, sometimes just following maybe their best threat. I think they should do that by moving him around at times situationally and put him at safety at times on passing downs where you know your safeties are going to be exposed potentially. And have Derek Williams in there at one safety, Jade Barron another. If you like Jalen Gilbo that much, if you do like him and you like what he's did, he's done, you could have him at the nickel. You have Ryan Watts at one corner when he's healthy. You'd have Terrence Brooks at another. If you don't like Jalen Gilbo, move Terrence Brooks inside, which you can do, because I think he can play nickel. 
and then you can have Malik Muhammad at another corner. Just situation. I'm not saying the whole, I'm, not, I'm saying that's your secondary. I'm talking about just situationally. They did I that on that goal Brooks. line. They did that on that goal line though, and Brooks looked lost. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Like that out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. one play. I know, but yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you're right. That's a good point. Like, if you don't, you need options. If he yeah. can't do it, you need options. I'm just saying, Jaday Barron is, and you would honestly improve his draft stock if you start moving him around like that. I mean, NFL scouts would love that about this game. But um, I like what you said about him being a rule breaker. He should be that guy. He's smart. And uh, honestly, he's your best player right now on defense. Behind Talandre Sweat, he might be your best player on defense. All right, let's talk offense here. Oh, go ahead. All right. We okay. I still have the the BYU, but we can no go ahead. Let's do it. Well, real quick, I thought so. They put Barron in in the second half. I think he'd been injured all week or something. Yes, he was out for the first half. Yeah, and they just put him in like save us, Barron, right? <laughs> but on the rewatch, I, Gilbo was not really the problem. I thought Gilbo was pretty solid. I, I agree. Just, they just put Barron in there because they needed. You know, he's their best. It's either him or Sweat is the best player, like you said. Yeah. You're like, we need this freaking guy on the field. We're gonna blow this game. Uh, but yeah, but Gilbo may be a, a potential part of the solution here. Um, real, just real quick, Matthew, if you can give us Exhibit Two. This is Texas runs this play. BYU runs this play, and others like it. Mesh rail, get two shallow crossing routes. Um, I, I have it numbered like the, sometimes teams will run like an out route or something on the bottom. You can see it and the quarterback can just throw that if it looks good before the snap, but otherwise he goes running back shallow to the side of the running back curl route in the middle of the field. And then there's an expression I won't say family program, but it's called the shallow sit route and it's the fourth read. <laughs> pretty much never throw it, but some coaches will call it the O rhymes with sit shallow. Yeah. Sit. yeah. <laughs> um, this play is all about stopping. This play is all about hive mind trading guys off at the linebacker level. And that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. They immediately stress you by having the running back who linebackers are normally assigned to cover yeah. runs the wheel route outside. And if the linebackers overreact to that, then they have shallow crossers with oh. a pick running into their vacated area of responsibility. Texas is probably not going to bring those 
zero inside defender blitzes this week. But this will still be a good test of whether they can defend this stuff. No, I agree. They run and they run a lot of crossing routes. They they do like bunch formations. They, they like, like empty too. They like empty, and that's something that uh, Donovan Smith and U of H ran a lot of too. Uh, they broke out to empty versus Texas a lot, uh, and U of uh, U of H did it. And honestly, from what I watched of BYU, uh, they run uh, quite a bit of empty too. So they'll spread Texas out. Uh, but you don't have to worry about Keaton Slovis running. That's the difference. He's, yeah. he, 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 can, he can hurt you as a scrambling quarterback every now and then, but he's not a runner, barely has functional mobility. Um, you know, Keaton Slovis, he has good pocket presence just because he's been playing for so long, but he has regressed as a passer every year. He's been a starter. He's been a starter, what, five years, I think, something like been a player like four or five years. He's regressed every year as a passer. So I'm not knocking him. But he's Texas shouldn't have. That should be a great bounce back performance defensively for Texas. If not, then don't we agree? And they got major issues if they can't have a bounce back performance because the wide receiving core for BYU, although it is a perfectly competent one, it is not filled with dynamic playmakers like U of H or even Oklahoma was. Famous last words. I mean, who thought Puka and Akua was. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. We said that about the, the U of H defense. I believe we dogged them quite a bit yeah. uh, last week about how they wouldn't uh, – they, they were a terrible defense and the worst one in the Big 12. And they actually played a lot better against Texas than I thought, made some plays yeah. uh, against Texas. Smoked, though. I, I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it. Uh, all right, any other thoughts about BYU's um, offense no, versus that – we got to talk about we got to talk about offense because of uh, the, the the quarterback thing. So. Let's do it. And let's just yeah, let's just start right there. Um, let's get into it. I the the quarterback situation, Quinn. First of all, what's your theory on when Quinn was hurt and what play he was hurt on? Because Sark was very cryptic when asked, "Hey, Sark, can you tell us what play he was hurt on?" Sark said, "That's for you guys to determine." He means us, the media, you guys. So he won't tell us. He said, "That's up for us." So uh, he's leaving it up for speculation. What play do you think it was? Well, the, the, the story from uh, sources is that it was the sack where Jatavian Sanders got uh, destroyed. And the the guy, sack? it was the same drive as the play where Ewers tried to run over David Ugwobu. Yes. And got, and got crunched. Ooh, ooh, yeah. He hurt, he hurt him. That dude got hurt too. Oh, he didn't get hurt. Yeah. He stayed on the field. He stayed down. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Wobu got hurt, and, and Ewers bounced back up. But the yeah. result of the play was felt like more of a Houston win. Um, so here's here's the thing: is that usually when quarterbacks get injured, it's because they get taken to the ground outside of their control, concussions, whatever. That's something that drove me nuts about the, <clears throat> the the separated shoulder that Quinn got in 2022 is that he tried to jump in the air to fling the ball out to the back of the end zone. And that's why when Dallas Turner tackled him, yeah, he had no control. Quinn had no control of how he went to the ground. Yeah. And so Dallas Turner decided that he was going to go down hard. Pile drive. And, yeah. And broke him. And uh, he got taken down to the ground pretty hard on the sack. 
And then on the same drive was the scramble where he runs into a Wobu. And you can actually see if you rewatch it now that he, he turns to lead with his left shoulder yeah. into Wobu's because you think he already knew that he was hurt on the right. Um, so that's, I think that that's what happened. That's what, that's what people are saying. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. I got to say though, Rod, do you remember that viral picture that went around of like all the Texas quarterbacks, like in their like, sports, like yeah, going off their guns and yeah. Quinn was like far and away the slightest guy. Yeah. This dude, this dude uh, he has not had a healthy season at quarterback where he was the starter since like maybe a sophomore year of high school. It's been a while. His junior year at South Lake Carroll, he had like, I don't know what all the official injuries. I think I've heard they like rib something, something else. He had all these injuries. Um, skips his senior year. Doesn't play as a freshman at Ohio State. Separated shoulder in 2022. Separated shoulder in 2023. I'm starting to get sort of a Shane Bouchelle vibe from him, who I know is actually having a decent career as an NFL backup. Yeah. Although behind the best quarterback in the world, but um, I I worry about Quinn's build for quarterback at the higher levels. Like he has the best arm talent of anyone I've ever seen. Like Malik probably has a stronger arm, but Quinn's ability to just easily make a million different throws is unreal. But his, he just, he doesn't protect himself carefully enough. And he doesn't hold up to being taken to the ground very well. No, I agree with that. And that that really that that play where he runs into the linebacker trying to get the first down, great play for grit and testicular fortitude. But if he's already dealing with an injury, it does show you that he's a little careless with the way he treats his body as a quarterback you're going to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL, which is his ultimate goal, I'm sure. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. we can't have that, man. Rod, he did that earlier in the game where he could have gone out of bounds and he was like, no, I'm going to make a move on this guy instead. And he got popped. Yeah. And he had a play against Oklahoma where he's like, oh, I'm loose. Should I go to the sideline or should I try to cut up field for the first down? And he got rocked and he fumbled. Yeah, I forgot. Why not slide? Why can't he just slide? Like or dive early or something. I don't like to slide. D- d- protect yourself though. Protect yourself at all times. It's like a cage match. And I, some people were were louding this, but it's like he cannot play that way. You can't play that He's way. He's not man. built to play that way. That is not serving no. him or the team. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. So I don't. And <clears throat> you know, we'll see. We'll, I mean, we'll see if we even see him in a Texas uniform again or not, right? No, that's a great point because, uh, you know what, if if he's fragile and comes back, he may be advised, hey, hey, man, if you re-injure yourself, you know your stock could drop, that kind of thing. And you could argue now, here's one of my random conspiracy theories, that so that's why Sark was so cryptic because he wants Quinn to be able to tell his story to the NFL scouts who may have a very the very same concerns you do. That, hey, man, when did you get hurt? And then why would you run into a linebacker full speed if you were already dealing with an injury? You're the quarterback. You're a franchise quarterback, that kind of stuff. And Sark's like, I don't even want to get into it. That's I'm not going to throw any player under the bus for anything. 
that's you know what you guys figure it out. That's a, good, like, that's a good theory. Yeah, trying to, protect, trying to protect and help his guy. Exactly. He's like, no, nah, that's my guy. He'll tell the scouts, and he can tell if he wants to tell you guys, he can tell you guys. But I'll let that be his thing. Um, okay, so with the quarterback situation, obviously um, being uh, now with Quinn dealing with an injury, we don't know how long he's going to be out. We we know he's going to be out for this week at least. Malik Murphy is the starting quarterback for now. Uh, the Sark did say the game was today. Malik would be the starting quarterback, but he's got to get Arch ready. We know that because Arch is now officially the backup quarterback. You got to get that guy ready to go. What are your thoughts about how the offense looks and how the offense changes with Quinn Ewers now being, you know, on, on the bench now uh, dealing with the injury. Malik Murphy's a, both these guys have great arm talents. Arch manny has got nice arm talent too, uh, but the very different types, right? You got, you know, Malik's a guy who throws the football with force and, and power, <laughs> right? He's a fastball kind of guy. You know, Quinn Ewers, you know, he's got a lot of touch in his game, a lot of accuracy, off-platform, uh, making throws from all different angles. I'm not sure if that's Malik. It could be, but they, they're talented in very different ways. Offense is definitely going to change. I think the deep ball comes back um, potentially with Malik because I think Sark maybe wants to showcase that, and that's something that easily translates for a young quarterback. Well, it'll depend on if BYU scraps their defensive playbook and runs the flyover like half the teams that Texas faces will do the week they play Texas. I mean, if, if BYU just sits with three deep at the snap every play, then I don't know if you want Malik trying to do his buck hunter routine and force the ball down there. Um, so, but if they don't, then absolutely. Like those BYU guys can't run with Xavier Worthy and, and Mitchell. I <clears throat> I suspect these next few games is going to come down to a lot of Malik Ogbo, a lot of Big 12 personnel, and then forcing teams to have to get guys in the box so that they can take like uh, smoke screens or uh, quick advantage throws and your deep shots outside to, to Mitchell and Worthy. I, Texas offense probably gets a lot simpler in the next few weeks. I mean, it, Almost has to, right? Yeah, you got to simplify it. I, I, <clears throat> so that I, if they can create some deep shots, then they will. But I, I, um, I wonder if I mean it's a good thing Baxter's healthy. I, I'm, I'm half expecting Texas to to get back to like when they would run the ball with Bijan and Roshan forty times a game mm. down the yeah. stretch of last year. No, you're definitely gonna run it a lot, but. The reason I think the deep throws will come back is because at one point defense are going to force Malik to beat them. They got to see what the if the young buck actually can do it. You know yeah. Jonathan Brooks. You know Jonathan Brooks in that run game and that O line can beat you, especially if you give them light boxes. They can just ram it down your throat, especially your BYU. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what Sark wants right now. And there's two things you got to do against Texas. We know, right? And one thing you got to show them something on game day that they haven't seen on film. That helps because Sarkis said that's happened four times this season. And like you said, the three high, three down defense, it works really well matched up against a Sarkis offense. And you're about to see it, by the way, in its uh, best forms, in its highest form, K-State, Iowa State, 
TCU. I mean, that's their defensive DNA. So we will dive deep into the three high, three down if people want to dive into it. But yes, U of H threw it out there. They ran it from the first series. They were running some of those three high concepts. And Texas was scoring. Texas was scoring on it. So it's, and by the way, they were scoring on it using that 6 0 line package. Two first, the first two touchdowns were in that Big 12 package because it works really well versus the 6 0 line package versus that uh, three high defense. Last season, by my notes, Texas averaged over six and a half yards per rush. I know that's B. Johnny Rojo, but over six and a half yards per rush uh, versus the three high went in the 6 0 line package. And it, when they were passing the football, the empty formation actually worked really well. They had first down touchdown rates up with 40 plus percent in empty formation versus the three high. Cause my theory is when you stress the three high meaning formationally or personnel wise, you force it to uh, abandon the, uh, the distortion and yes. all of its malleability that distorts the pre-snap read all the disguise. It has to abandon that. And then you get a better indicator of what coverage and what front they're playing. You lose, the, you lose the flyover. So like part of the name of the flyover, they have all these guys deep and then you don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. But to your point, if you force them to declare by embracing either extreme in a formation, either by having loads of big bodies. So it's like, well, okay, we can't all stay back here. They got all these big bodies. So we got to account for that. Yeah, or if you spread yeah. them out, okay, we can't just be anywhere. We can't give them all these easy passing windows. So yeah, the, it's like sign stealing. If you uh, if you don't let the offense know what you're going to do before the snap, because you're just this amorphous structure. Exactly. It's a lot harder to attack. But if you force them to declare what they're doing, it's almost like sign stealing, where you can get a better idea of what you're up against. Yeah, and I think Sark knows this. I think Sark's on to it. Now, the, the mystery is, in in the first half of that game versus U of H, Texas was averaging – over nine yards per play in the in the 6-0 line package. The first two touchdowns came in the 6-0 line package via the pass. But in the second half, you only had two snaps of it rushing. Um, in the first half, I think you had 11 total plays somewhere around there. I, I want to know why Sark stopped running it. Maybe it's because around that time, Quinn got hurt, and then you didn't have the passing element off it because these are deeper passing concepts. Um, longer developing passing concepts because you got you got more pass protection with your six offensive linemen, or did he decide I've shown enough and I've seen enough out of the three of, of the six line versus the three high, and I don't want my opponents to know that I have the antidote to the three high until I face the the murderous row of it, which is K State, but Iowa State and TCU face them all in a row, I think actually. Is that what? Why did he stop the six zero line package? Because it was really, really successful, and he just kind of pulled it. What was it? What's the reason you think? I don't know. Maybe he hadn't scripted as much. Um, maybe, like you're saying, he didn't want to get into that bag if he didn't have to. Yeah. Um, trying to think of why else he would have done that. Because he just stopped it. He just second half. I mean, they didn't need it to run the ball in the second half. They didn't. You're right. They ran it out. Of, they ran out of twelve and eleven actually most of the time. They just, they, and they ran it successfully once they got back on track. Maybe, maybe they figured out that um, if they went to the six O line, then Houston would get out of the flyover, and mm -hmm. so they wanted them in the flyover to run the ball, so they stayed in lighter packages. 
Could be. Oh, that's good. I don't know. That's good. No, that's good. It just, that, yeah, no, I, I, I do think Sark has figured out what we figured out that you have to be an extremist versus the three high. Yeah. You have to be extreme formation wise or personnel wise. If you get extreme, then they can't be uh they can't be this, like you said, the amorphous blob of defense and disguise and distortion uh, and illusion. They have to show their hand, they have to reveal themselves. So anyway, we'll get deeper into that because we got a lot of time to do it. Um, let's talk about the the offensive identity real quick before we get out of here with Malik Murphy as starting quarterback. Or how about this? Do you think we see Arch at all in the game? I, I think we'll see him. I kind of wonder if they'll um, they'll go like two one or something. Like I think, really? I mean, I don't know. I I think Arch Manning might be better, but I think you want to start with Malik because of uh, seniority and experience, and he's played in games, and Arch hasn't. And you send Malik out there, and if he's killing it, great. You're set. And if if he's not, or even if he is, but you're like, hey, you know what? Malik has had injury problems too before. Yes, he has. Maybe we need to get Arch in there to get his feet wet in case, like, maybe this game goes fine, but then maybe Malik is injured next game, and now we just got Arch and Cole Lord or something, you know? So um, I bet they'd want to get to Arch in this game just for that. I agree. Um, And he might be better than Malik too, obviously. He's Arch Manning. So, I mean, there's going to be – this is going to dominate discussion around this game, especially after it happens. And um, uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But uh, either way, they – Either way, it's like Brooks and Baxter who've got exactly. A- that's kind of what I was gonna say. Really, yeah, that's the, the the headline will be how much does Arch play? How did Malik look in the game? And those are all great headlines because it's the quarterback position. But the identity of the offense now is clear. When before it wasn't the identity of the offense now is the running game, and CJ Baxter is ascending at the right time. And I I I I'm with you, man. I bet we get heavier, heavier personnel sets. So I don't know if we get as much as the 6-0 line package until we get to the three high stretch of games with all those teams. But 21 personnel might come back officially now. Remember last year, it was their, their most effective and explosive personnel package. What are you talking about? Yards per play? You're talking about yards per attempt or explosive play rate? It was the 21 personnel last season. You, you lose Rojo and Bijan, but Jay Brooks has – Obviously, proven himself as one of the most productive running backs in the country, and now you got CJ Baxter. I we didn't see a lot. We haven't seen a lot of it this year. Wait, twenty one? You mean two running backs? Yes, like po- their pony package basically with two two running backs, one tight end, but two tailbacks. Not oh. traditional, not a fullback, just two tailbacks to pony package. And Sark, you know, he's used it a lot. He used it a lot last year, but last year the running back role was probably the best in the country, so it's understandable. Yeah. Um, but this year. C.J. Baxter and, and uh, you can get C.J. Baxter and J. J. Brooks on the field. It gives you another option, a variety to be heavy and run the football effectively. Now, I don't know how – but Sark's had a lot of plays. Men of Brandon Marion's go-go offense essentially is a two-back, two-tailback offense uh, with the West Coast passing game. Sark's basically got that playbook, a lot of it. And that's what he used last season. Just saying you might see some of it potentially the – make it a little bit more of a, you know, diverse running game for Texas. 
I, I hate to leave out our guy Jay Witt, though. He's That's just true. So good at so many different things. You can put Jay Witt as the blocker. He's, he's a better blocker than A.D. Mitchell. I know y'all don't like taking A.D. Mitchell off the field, but this is the thing about it. Real quick, I know we, we're up against it. We're getting ready to end it. But I, I'm a little upset that sometimes they run that 6-0 line package, the Big 12 package we're talking about, and they have A.D. Mitchell in there block as the blocker and run plays. I'm like, man, I know you don't want to dictate exactly what you're going to do. You can run pass plays with Jay Witt, though. You don't always have to have him in there as a blocker. But, man, sometimes that package could be deadly if they just have Jay Witt in there as the blocker as opposed to A.D. Mitchell in there. You, you, you can break some bigger plays, but it'll become a bigger, I think, identity of the offense. I'm with you, I think, going forward because it just it makes the, the, the defense have to decide. You're going to defend the heavy, the heavy personnel or you're going to defend the options on the outside for Texas. Um, it's a, all right, it's other, a, I think it's a check. So, like, when the defense loads up, then they bring in the receiver to block on those on like duo. Yeah. And I mean, I would just, if you're, if the safety's not respecting Mitchell, then run the glance. Yeah. I mean, they want to block because they just want to be able to run the ball and say, we're going to run it no matter what. But I I would mix in more of the glance or whatever, or fade or something. Cause uh, he's, He's a, sometimes he's a decent blocker and sometimes he's not. <laughs> it's pretty much a coin toss. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's so awesome running routes. I mean, that route he ran to get the touchdown was a, that was a nasty NFL route right there. I, mean, I can tell you right now, NFL scouts are drooling over that one. Um, all right. Any other thoughts, Ian, before we get ready to wrap things up about the uh, Texas BYU matchup? No, but I, I uh, crossed you last week and you said Houston's got to play prevent. And I was like, well, but that's so counter to their identity. I don't know if they can do that well. And you were right. And I bet you you're right this week again. And BYU does not play the flyover, but they load up the box and they make Malik prove that he can actually use those receivers to beat him. Yeah, I just think that's – I would do that. I think you're right. I think that's yeah. what they do. Because if he's not accurate, man, you can put off the upset. And by the way, BYU – like TCU Lead. last year. Exactly. BYU leads the Big 12 in – no, it's the second in interceptions, I believe, it was in, in the Big 12. Yeah, they, and they had 16 takeaways. The only thing they do well defensively pretty much is take the football away. And if they do that, then we can see a total different script of this, the BYU game. It's going to be really interesting to see. It's the arch if that happens, I'll tell you that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was, I, I'm glad you said it. I didn't want to say it, but yes, exactly what <laughs> Um, all right, uh, Ian, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it as always. You bet. All right, that's uh, Ian Boyd. I am uh, right, Rod Babers, both lifetime Longhorns and football theorists. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. And until then, hook them.